Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. Real inspiration for real innovators. If you're looking for innovation and leadership transformation, your journey starts now. Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bourne. I'm the founder of Innovation Meets Leadership and the Vice President of Innovation for Territory Global. We have started a series focused on the most important asset in our business, our people, and what they bring to the table every day, which is their talent. In this series, we will talk about identifying the right people to hire and promote and how we should think about our own talent and the talent in others. One of my future guests in this series and also my executive coach, Amy Baylog, says this all the time. Leadership is how others experience themselves when they're around you. And that's so good. I'm going to say it again. Leadership is how others experience themselves when they're around you. And what this means to me is that there is the potential for the attributes in other people to bring out the best in you. I've had the opportunity to interview hundreds of people over the course of my career, and they've all been super talented. But John Maxwell says it best in his book, Talent is Never Enough. He says, if talent alone is enough, why do we know highly talented people that are not highly successful? So let's dive in and talk about the X factor of talent. The better the talent, the better the potential. But I can say strongly that talent may get you to the party, but it's this X factor of talent that keeps you at the party. Now, we all know talent to be this natural skill ability or aptitude. It's like this giftedness, but we also know that talent alone is not enough. And if you're familiar with the book by Carol Dweck called The Growth Mindset, it's about this violinist who had a mastery of the violin at such levels that she didn't feel that she needed to take feedback from her instructor. And over time, those that did not match her talent, they begin to surpass her. And what we find is that there are those that can ride the wave of talent, but without hard work and work ethic, there's a stopping point. It only can take you so far. When hiring, there are three doors that a candidate must pass through to have the X factor. And once I validate that they have the intelligence and the talent and the skill to do the job, I look for these three things. So let's talk about what's behind door number one. Door number one is, are they humble? And this focuses on how they view their contributions and the contributions of others. So in other words, do they think of themselves more highly than they should? And do they see themselves as part of the team? Or do they see themselves as better than the team and competing with the team? Now, let me pause here because there is a broader struggle in our American society and maybe even our Western society with the idea of teaming. Teaming can be a struggle. And I believe it's because we've created a scarcity mentality in business where there's not enough. There's not enough promotions to go around. There's not enough praise, not enough seats at the table, and not enough recognition. So the only way that we feel that we can get that recognition is to extract it or take it from someone else. And this is a scarcity mindset. When it operates in someone, we can all see it very clearly. And what it often looks like is either pride or insecurity. And let's be honest, I think we've all seen it in ourselves at some point in our career. But when I'm talking to someone in an interview, 
here's how I look for whether or not this is operating. There are a couple of questions that I'll ask them. One is, I love to talk about their project team. I love to talk about the dynamics on a project that they worked on. And what I'm looking for is, do they see themselves as the hero on every project? And is the other person or persons that worked on the project with them incompetent? That's a clear sign that something is operating that shouldn't be. Now, let me give you the perfect example of hiring and humility. I was trying several months ago to fill a strategic and important position. As a matter of fact, this role was holding up a project that had executive visibility. And I had the perfect candidate on paper. The candidate was incredible and he was off the charts. And I'll be honest, I'd been searching for him for months and he was like finding a needle in a haystack. So after months of searching, I... I almost kind of relaxed and had this relief of like, he's so talented, I've found the one. Unfortunately, he mistreated my project coordinator over the phone. And I sat back and thought, if he can treat me with kindness and respect, but he can mistreat her, that's a deal breaker. And we were in the final stages of the interview. So I felt like, you know, we'd meet together one more time and I'd probably offer him the position. But she came to me and explained what he said and how rude he was. And that pretty much squashed the next phase of the interview. What I realized is it didn't matter how talented he was. If he was going to mistreat her, I couldn't imagine the countless other people that he would mistreat when he got in the building. And it was pride. The way he was treating her was extremely prideful. Here's what I found. Humility and kindness will walk you through doors that your talent will not. If you are interviewing someone that bashes their former team, move on and save yourself the headache. I like taking my candidate to lunch to see how they're going to treat the waiter. Do they acknowledge the waiter? Do they treat the waiter with respect and dignity? These things matter and they're a foreshadowing for how they're going to act within your organization based on how they feel that person aligns within the pecking order. So it's so critical that you understand who you're getting. And if they treat people above them nicely, but people that are their peers or below them unkindly, it's a deal breaker because it costs you nothing to be kind. And if you have to choose to work with someone 40 to 60 hours a week, choose those that are kind. So critical. Humility is a very important trait to work with. And so number two is, are they teachable? Are they willing to learn and able to be taught? Now, I know what you're thinking. I'm hiring an executive or a person with a background in this area. I expect them to come knowing. I don't expect to teach them anything. They should know it all, right? Well, that's wrong. Because I think whether or not you realize it, there are going to be things they have to learn on the job, whether it's new business models, new companies. They have to be teachable, even learning a new team and what's required on that team versus a team they were at at another company. We all have to learn and we all have to grow constantly. As things change, we have to be able to rise to understand them and we have to know best how to implement them. And that requires learning, that requires teachability. And so that's something that I look for in someone. Are they constantly learning? Are they constantly growing? And are they willing to learn from their peers? That really matters to me. And no matter what level you're hiring for, leaders need to be able to roll up their sleeves and they need to be willing to learn something new. In fact, the further up the organization we go, we understand that it's not about having all the ideas, but it is about being able to understand the problem and being able to bring the brightest and best people to the table to solve the problem. 
So don't get me wrong. I've made this mistake and I've hired for talent. I absolutely have hired because I needed the skill set. I needed the talent. I had a situation a number of years ago where the person had trouble gelling with the rest of the team. He was rude and abrasive to everyone else. And when we got to the bottom of it, what I found was he just wasn't teachable. He wasn't able to learn, adapt, and mesh to his new environment. He wanted to tell everyone what to do, but he didn't want to collaborate with anybody. And (laughs) when interviewing, I now ask this question because of that experience. I ask them about what types of environments they onboard into easily and what type of environments are hard for them to onboard into. Some people need high structure to thrive and some need low structure, but regardless, there's a reaction that they can have when they enter certain structures and those reactions create stressors for them and then they can take those stressors out on their peers. And so what I found with this particular person that I hired is they were experiencing stress because they came from a very high structure environment and we were a very low structure environment. So how that played out is that they were used to very strong and very clear roles and responsibilities. And with a lack of that structure, they felt that they had to take over and tell everyone what to do. The team, because they'd known each other for so long and worked together for so long, they collaborated very well without that need for high, high structure. So now I spend a lot of time talking about this contrast because there are some candidates that can be coached through it if they're teachable, and there's some that can't. And what happens is the confidence starts to border on pride. And what I find is when you hire pride into your organization, it can tear the organization apart. What's interesting, I find, is that we spend far too long talking to people about their skills and talent, which are extremely important, and not enough time talking to them about their soft skills that make them a joy or a challenge to work with. This challenge comes based on internal things, so what's going on inside of them, and external things like your company culture. When these two things collide, it can be amazing or disastrous Teachability says, I'm here to serve, not steal the show. So I look for teachability and it really comes with, can I teach them what our culture is and the good things about our culture and can they align with those things? And if there are bad things in our culture, will they be the type of person that can teach us in a teachable way where we're wrong and where we can change? And that's critical, right? It's a two-way street. Not only do you want to work with people that are teachable, you want to go into an organization that's open, willing, and is teachable as well. The third and final door that I look for is, have they failed? (laughs) Now, going back to the first two attributes, are they humble and are they teachable? I'm looking to see, have they failed? And not just have they failed, are they humble enough to share that fact with you? And I'm also looking for whether or not they have failed forward. And that's the have you learned from it part. That's the teachable part of it. Do they get back up? You know we all make mistakes. Do they get back up? Do they self-correct? And do they move forward? Are they resilient and tenacious? Because if they are, there is usually a strong work ethic that follows. And as we know, resilience is built when no one's watching. It's built through hardship and discomfort and pain. 
Just like an athlete, in order to build new muscles, there must be a tearing and a ripping to get the results you want. Often when I work on a project with a team, there's always this breaking point in the project where someone will throw up their hands and say, it's gotten too hard. And they may mentally check out or worse, physically check out. But others will actually dig in. And it's all too easy to tap out in our society when things get too hard. But some people actually dial in and push harder. And so to understand what type of person I'm dealing with, I ask these seven questions. So the first question is, when was the last time you failed and what were you working on? The second question I ask is, why did it fail and how did you overcome the challenge? The third question I ask is, who worked with you on that team and who led the project? Again, I want to understand that dynamic and how they see their other team members. Number four, what was their contribution or role and what was yours? Number five, what did you disagree about and how did you solve that problem? Number six, did you vocalize those disagreements or did you just think them to yourself? (laughs) Number seven, how did the team rise and what was the end result? You know, In product development, we have so many versions of ideas until we get to that final idea that sticks. You know the one, the one that the customer loves and they will beat down your door to pay for it. And you arrive at those solutions through failing. You go through version one, which was horrible, and version two, which was just okay, and version three, which was a little bit better, but it's still not sticking until you get all the way to version 10, the one that the customer loves. And so in life and in business, we have to know how to fail and how to fall. What I find interesting, so my kids have been taking Krav Maga and you know, it's a martial arts training. And one of the first things they teach you is how to fall and how to get back up. And we do our teams a disservice when we don't teach them the same thing. When we don't teach them in business and in leadership, how to fall and how to get back up. Otherwise, we create leaders and teams that are afraid to innovate and afraid to launch new things. And this is the challenge. When people are afraid to fail, they're afraid to create. (laughs) But the fear of not creating has to be greater than the fear of failure. In other words, the fear of not creating something new has to be greater than the fear of failing at it. But this can't be done alone. It has to be done with a team of people who are willing to take risks and people that are willing to fail. We fail together. We fall together. We rise together. That's the kind of team I want to work with. We fail fast. We fail cheap. We rise smarter. And when they do fail, I want to know, do they know it? Can they admit it? And do they get back up? Do they make new and different mistakes, not the same mistake over and over again? If I can check those boxes, this is someone who's talented, self-aware, and willing to take risks and can learn quickly from their mistakes. Now that is the X factor on talent. In the next few weeks, we will talk to leaders on this very topic of talent. So tune in next time. And remember, don't just get out of the box, break the box and set it on fire. Let's go transform something. Thank you for joining us for the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. 
Be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Innovation Meets Leadership. And visit our site at innovationmeetsleadership.com for more innovation resources. Today's sponsorship is brought to you by Territory Global. Do some of your team feel like they are working on a never-ending hamster wheel? Are there subtle questions about satisfaction, productivity, or efficiency? We believe there is a better way of working based on human-centered principles and respect. Territory's team has been operating this way for years, and our conviction that work can be improved is why we co-founded the Work Forward movement. Simply put, the strategies and ways of working of the past are ill-suited for these unprecedented times. The days of going to an office and sitting at a desk should be a thing of the past now for most companies. This moment in our history gives those who understand the implications of our current moment a reason to embrace a new working model. Visit us at Territory.co and join the Work Forward movement.